What's Good Friends List, episode 46 of the Game Pass Gamecast, coming at you. Following up last week's glimpse at the Xbox Series X's gameplay, we've had another look at what gaming's future has in store by a demo of the upcoming Unreal Engine 5. So, this week, Mike and I discuss the impact the new engine will have for both consumers and developers alike, and how we may finally see that last line between film and gaming be blurred. Plus, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is back, baby, and the series looks better than ever. Is the remake a taste of things to come for the franchise, and how has it retained relevance over other franchises of the past? Also, Phil Spencer warns that the coronavirus's impact won't be felt immediately, but will echo long term. What does this mean for the status of upcoming Xbox Series X titles? All of this, and much more, on the newest episode of the Game Pass Gamecast. <laughs> now the fun begins. Welcome back to another episode of the Game Pass Gamecast, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox, Xbox Game Pass, and PC gaming, including news, rumors, and conversations around them damn good video games. You can catch new episodes of the show each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get a podcast at and Follow us on Twitter at GPGC Podcast. Stay up to date with everything regarding the show, video games like our dope giveaways, and to get on the show and talk on the show and be a part of the show. Twitter.com slash GPGC Podcast. I'm your host as always, Travis White, aka Travelis, on most internet platforms. Joining me as always, my co-host, my partner in crime, Mike Peapack. Mike, what's good? What's going on? And as always, what you been playing? Um, yeah, so I mean, not a whole lot has changed for me. I'm just getting back into, like, the swing of working and everything of that nature. So mm-hmm. a little bit of a switch up there just in personal life stuff. But as far as gaming life is concerned, um, this week I've been playing um, a lot of Halo 3. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have a tournament on Saturday. It was a Halo 3 draft tournament. So basically what happened was a bunch of people signed up as individuals for a tournament, and then they picked the best players to be the captains. Those best players picked teams, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that is Saturday. So um, just we've my team has been scrimmaging pretty much nightly, um, just getting a few just getting games in with each other, just trying to get a little familiar with each other mm-hmm. um, because the prize pool has gone up a bit. Um, first place is going to get a thousand bucks, which nice isn't much, but 250 bucks, um, you know, for my time and efforts for this for this tournament seems fair. So mm-hmm. hopefully we, we bring home the win. We've been doing well in scrims. Uh, uh, we've been doing really well. I think we're undefeated in scrims and. I mean, most scrims we were winning like eight to one. We won the first night. We won eight three. I mean, we're we're playing really well as a team, so that's that's good. Um, the other game I've been mixing it up with is I've been um, starting to get a little more Age of Empires two um, definitive edition back into my diet. So nice. they've released a lot of updates from that for that game, and it's basically like a completely different game from when it released. Um, mm-hmm. And the patches have made it much more tolerable as far as like the issues that were going on with the game. Mm-hmm. So I've been playing a lot more of Age of Empires 2, just kind of getting back into shape that way. Um, and then, you know, last night, Halo 2 Anniversary and Halo 2 Classic released on MCC on PC. So last night I played a little bit of H2A before I had to go to bed because I had work this morning. And then mm-hmm. just now, recently before uh, recording, I've been playing a little H2C. So basically a lot of Halo and mixing in some Age of Empires. Still getting into Valorant, but 
Valorant has kind of I've put it down for now just because I have this tournament coming up on Saturday, mm-hmm. and once that's over, I will uh, get back into you know Valorant and everything of that nature. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, have you gotten any games in on Halo Two at all, both the anniversary or classic? Yeah, I've been playing. I played hardcore anniversary a couple of games and i did play classic a couple of games um Mm -hmm. i'm not like i haven't played enough to like really give a hard end like this is like i haven't put enough time in to like really break down everything Mm -hmm. um halo 2 anniversary is pretty solid i mean for competitive purposes that's what they're going to be playing the hcs came out with a roadmap and Mm -hmm. that's what we're going to be playing if if i'm going to compete and um, there's only three maps in H2A, so I don't know that I'm going to compete in it. We'll see. If I get a team offer that's good, maybe. But yeah. I don't see myself really wanting to c- commit to playing Sanctuary, Lockout, and Warlock over and over and over and over again. I just don't see it happening. But yeah, maybe yeah. we'll see what happens. So H2A, um, you know, the three maps, whatever. But H2 Classic, Halo 2 Classic, has a bit of issues, a lot of bugs. Obviously, they released meat, or they released information with what bugs specifically were going to be with release which whatever uh if you're going to release a game i don't think it should be that buggy but there is a slew of other issues going on with halo 2 classic right now for them that um it's just another 343 industries release what can i say um us halo fans that have been we're just used to it um Mm -hmm. this team over there that's working on mcc can't get out of their own way so i don't know what it, what how long it's going to take to get fixed what's going to happen um, mm-hmm. but if you're if you were waiting to buy halo 2 classic specifically and you didn't buy the 36 dollars full version i would wait longer because if you buy it and try to play halo 2 classic you're going to be thoroughly disappointed even at 10 bucks yeah so what is your overall opinion i guess on h2a um you know halo class halo 2 classic you've you and i've gushed over that long enough you know what i mean um mm-hmm. and i feel like h2a was meant to be such a big thing at launch of mcc back in 2014 um you know that was being touted as one of the big reasons to buy this collection it's hey we're we're ma- remaking halo 2 from the ground up uh we're using the same you know skeletal engine of it but we're going to all new visuals you know it's they were saying hey we're gonna you're gonna play it you know just as you did as it was shipped in 2004 which obviously wasn't the case but you know what is your overall consensus now in 2024 halo 2 anniversary now knowing that hey it's out it's available to people on pc a whole new audience is going to come in from i'm sure not only Steam, you know, where I'm sure the a lot of the sales are going to come from, hard sales at least, but a ton of people on Game Pass as well. You know, what what is your overall opinion of it? And do you think it's one of the main reasons people should be jumping in to MCC or not? Is it just just another part of MCC? And really, I guess, does MCC at this point, and, you know, obviously we got more stuff in the show that's a little bit more breaking news, but I'd love to just get your quick opinion on it. Like, is at this point, getting MCC out there being really, I, in my opinion, on PC being used as really a marketing tool at this point to get people Halo back in the zeitgeist of what's going on to get people, quote unquote, excited for Halo Infinite, you know, mm-hmm. Do you think Halo 2 Anniversary, what's your overall opinion on it, and do you think it's going to be as impactful as Xbox is making out to be so on PC? I think 
um, the reason why the HCS is going with Halo 2 Anniversary is because there's a lot less bugs. Mm-hmm. Um, Halo 2 Classic is way too buggy, and there's way too much randomness. Um, mm-hmm. It needs a lot of work before it would be ready to be played competitively. Uh, with that being said, as far as is H2A the answer to Halo's problems, or is it going to at least get it some more traction? Um, so there's a few things about H2A that, competitively speaking, it, are a little um are are issues obviously Mm -hmm. the map the lack of map pool is a big issue Mm -hmm. i think people will get tired of playing the same maps um outside of that the melees are very like slow and outdated and while the graphically speaking it's a pretty solid game and it has aged pretty pretty well graphically speaking Mm -hmm. it's aged pretty solidly um the biggest issue i see with halo 2 anniversary just from a widespread audience um controller players are still going to absolutely dominate mouse and keyboard players um it's the easiest halo game to shoot in um comparatively speaking if i was to rate halo games of of shooting your gun the base the most basic mechanic of them all literally Mm -hmm. just shooting your gun um halo 2 anniversary would be number one easiest uh it's just so easy it's like it's like velcroed on and you can't get it off it's Mm -hmm. almost like you have like super glue like you're never going to be able to get off of the person so yeah i've noticed that too even on console playing that yeah and with the aim assist you get on controller for h2a versus mouse and keyboard not getting any uh, it's going to be an issue that people are going to cry about and Mm -hmm. they they really should consider it's going to be a whole nother thing that they can code and they haven't proven to me that they can code a game functionally anyway but they really need to you know split the split the player base I know people aren't going to want to hear that because there's a small enough player base as it is, but you have to provide an option for mouse and keyboard players to play against other mouse and keyboard players only. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they think they're good enough and they want to play against controller players, by all means, let them play that. But they should, you should be able to segment off, or, you know, you know, bar off the controller players if you're going to complain about it the entire time because it just makes it no fun for anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't like to go into a game, whether it was Reach, Halo 1, on PC, Halo 2 now or Halo 2 anniversary and just play a hardcore game and go for 50 kills in a flag game. And it felt like I didn't do anything because nobody can shoot me. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, you know, personally I get the complaints from mouse and keyboard players. Um, Mm -hmm. if you know, it's a game that was originally created for a mouse or for a controller. I don't like that was the original input. And these are just ports. I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah, it's not like they're not going to completely rework the game to make it balanced. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's something that they're compiling data for Halo to in- or for Halo Infinite. And I yeah. hope that they take these things for Halo Infinite into consideration. But as far as the original question before, you know, I go off into any more of a tangent <laughs> of like a full a full review of the game, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think Halo 2 Anniversary is the answer. Um, I think Halo 3, um, when it releases on PC, will be the game that most of the generation has. That's a lot. Like, I even see a lot of COD players or, or content streamers, and I call them content streamers because you're not going to tell me the people that play Warzone and, and Fortnite for a living that aren't top pros in those scenes. Mm-hmm. I, I can't call them pro Warzone like. They're content streamers. They play whatever the flavor of the week is, you know, and, and they're popular doing that. And people like to watch them for whatever reason. And and that's cool. But, you know, people like, uh, you know, Dr. Disrespect isn't one because he played older Halos. But even someone like Summit, you know, like mm-hmm. 
I know he's been clamoring for H3, and a lot of the pro COD players are like, Halo 3 was my first game online. Like, I'm excited for that on PC. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not looking forward to it because they're going to botch it just like they've botched the rest of their releases. But um, I think that'll be the game that really gets people clamoring for Halo, Halo Infinite. And I think they are positioning themselves to release Halo 3 here in a few months that will let them build that hype that's appropriate to go into um, Halo Infinite. Um, Halo 2C and Halo 2A... Um, you know, they had to release those games because they were coming along. I don't know what the rush was. Um, I know Mm -hmm. people were excited for it, but you released a Halo 2 Classic and it should have been an H2A release only. They should have scrapped that release for a later date or done more Insider. Like, I didn't get an Insider invite for it. I got an Insider invite for Halo 1. I played played Halo 2 maybe the most out of every Halo game ever. Uh, My Bungie profile, I have like 40,000 played games. Like, I've played Halo 2 Classic the most out of every Halo game in my entire life, and I've put a fuck ton of time into Halo, and I didn't get an Insider invite. And I know, like, that's I'm not going to be petty and be mad that I didn't get an Insider invite. I'm not going to be one of those people, but it feels like they didn't didn't have enough people for the flights on the Insider builds, Mm. and now they release this game, and it's it's not done. (laughs) Yeah. And, And that's been, you know, again, that's been a theme with 343 since the beginning since their first game maybe not halo 4 it was done mm-hmm. they just didn't support it enough post-release but you know their first their first game was picking up halo reach with what bungie left mm-hmm. and the first thing they did was take out the bloom and the sprint and you know the competitive community was pretty happy with that because it was at least playable but mm-hmm. since then they've done nothing but drop the ball and um with this release i mean our expectations were low as a community but holy fuck bud like (laughs) it can't get any lower than this i'm telling you like the the halo community that has stuck with halo not the halo community like that loves halo hasn't played it in a while and is excited for infinite because it's going to be on pc i'm talking the people that have still been playing it like yeah we just it's just like we just don't care anymore we just know it's going to be bad and we play the game simply because we love it. We don't play 343's games. We play Bungie's games because we love it, not because, you know, it's 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 a tough it's a tough scene out there. But that's a long-winded, <laughs> pessimistic answer to your question. Hey, that's but all right. I felt like it. I felt like it was all needed to be said because I, I'm just trying to be real with our listeners. I'm not gonna suck suck up to 343 because I want insider access or I want. I want review. Like I don't care. Right. Our media isn't big enough, and even if our media was big enough. I love Halo too much to be a, to be an ass kisser. I'm going to tell you how it is. Period. Right. Cuz you're so realistically it's it's cuz you care about that franchise. You know, you're I, so intrinsic. Right. You're so intrinsically I... tied to like your gaming history and you have so many hours and so many moments of your life that really have gravitated around that game in a positive manner that it's like you care about it. You want to see it succeed. You want to see more people invested in this. And that's what makes me really excited about Infinite. Because I'm seeing a lot of things that me as a Halo fan, who's more in that, you know, other category that you were saying, who's very excited for it, has grown I mean, up on Halo. Pick up MCC every once in a while, but right. not like... But it's not, not like it's not one of my main games. And right, and it's not one of my I, main games that I play regularly that's, you could call a quote-unquote live service in terms of, I'm playing multiplayer all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm picking it up here and there again because I get that itch and, you know, I want to get back into Halo. But that's what makes me so excited about Halo Infinite because I'm really curious to see how how 343 is going to look at or how they've developed a game that is while it is primarily for, you know, 
Xbox Series X, it's being touted as that. It's it's being built in mind for PC as well, where yeah, com- I mean, every every other, uh, every other Halo has never been like that outside of really, I guess if you want to say Halo CE, because originally it was a third person PC game that got reworked into a first person console game and then eventually came to PC. But outside of that, everything else has been it's it's a console game. So I'm really curious to see how that kind of transcends and how that's presented, knowing that, hey, from the get go. This has been built as both a PC and console game, um, but and, and other studios have had no issue with that. Look mm-hmm. at Call of Duty on release yeah. night. I mean, okay, they did have there were issues on release night to getting on the game, but their servers were being overloaded because people were playing from Battle.net and people were playing on Xbox and PS4 together. Yeah. So these games have just integrated this, and it's not an issue for them. So mm-hmm. I don't have any sympathy. I don't have any. Like, I have zero sympathy, and, you know, I won't make any excuses for 343. It's a joke. It's It's been rough. Um, they're, like, the only positive maybe is, like, as, as fans, you could almost think, like, well, we can only go up from here, but that's really not the truth. It could go lower, believe it or not. But, I mean, once you play a game competitively, it kind of sucks the fun out of every game you ever play because – once you have that competitive drive in you, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying people that don't play video games competitively aren't competitive human beings, because I know you are competitive. I know Adam can be competitive. Everyone has competitive streaks in them. Mm-hmm. But when you seriously dedicate your life to playing a game competitively, even if it's a different series, once you pick up new games, you are a very harsh critic because you're looking for certain things in competitive elements. And Halo 2 Anniversary just doesn't deliver on that scale. Um now from a casual standpoint it might be fun i'm concerned because teams of four are getting matched ups of against threes and ones and that's something from the get-go on xbox that nobody wanted because it was nobody wanted to play because if i'm going to go play solo and get smashed by teams of four it's not fun so you're not making the fun the game fun for any casual players when you're doing that so we'll (laughs) see what happens there's a lot of life left before infinite but um you know, they've been making Infinite for like five or six years, and none of their releases have been good. Mm-hmm. So if they release Infinite and it's not good, and they've had how many years to to go with it, and they haven't released gameplay yet, like, dude, yeah, uh, it's 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 bad. Um, you know, it's tough to believe that it got any lower, uh, or it could go any lower, but it can and it will. Mm-hmm. And Halo Three, I just saw a couple of videos. I was watching while you were talking, and. Their update to MCC on Halo 3 doesn't look good, so we'll see what happens. Um, I'm not even optimistic. I'm just, you know, <laughs> at this point, I just hope the game works a little bit. But yeah. uh, without, uh, I, I digress. We can move on. <laughs> Twenty minutes into the show, almost. Yeah. <laughs> we'll finally just, move into the news. No, I'm, I'm just. Fuck, kidding. I could have a three-hour episode. Oh, I know. By myself. By myself. It, it, I could have a three-hour episode, to, like picking apart every little thing. But. To be quite honest, that's that's one thing I do want to have uh, leading into Infinite. Uh, is you know, uh, not the clickbait, clickbaity. These five things will improve Halo, but I'd like to have like an actual. Like a legitimate conversation of, you know, worries, worries, wants, uh, you know, all different things, dissecting what needs to be done. Trav, to... this isn't a joke. And listeners, this isn't a fucking joke. Just just fucking work. The yeah. game just has to fucking work. The, the first night, yeah. the game has to work. And then yep. Halo 4 worked on release. 
but mm-hmm. they didn't update it. So after yeah, a week, nobody, they, everybody, they everybody launched it and didn't fucking care. <laughs> you're not that. getting de-scoped when you're zoomed in with a gun, like the first Halo ever. Who thought that was okay? Yeah, but yeah. it is uh, anyway. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely cross that there's bridge. So much, there's so much good news on this show that yeah. I'm telling you, this will be the low point of the show. But fuck, really. <laughs> I'm pretty sad. Yeah, it, like I said, that's one I do want to have an actual conversation around moving closer to Infinite uh, that, you know, we can, I guarantee is going to be like a two-hour episode. So, um, but on my end, just real quick, um, I've been playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey still, um, you know, jumped back in recently because of Valhalla, got that itch again because that's, you know, I finished Origins, loved Origins, but started Odyssey, loved it, but Odyssey is a much denser game than Origins, and Origins is a very dense game to begin with. Um, you know, that I never really finished it, but now I'm jumping back into it, and I'm playing it on PC this time, actually, and it's really a spoiling experience playing that game on ultra settings at, like, l- like even if you just lock it at 60 frames, um, it's, it's really a spoiling experience that... It, 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 it's going to be hard to actually go to console and play a game like Assassin's Creed again um, in terms of just the scope that's able to be presented playing on PC. Uh, it, it, it's like playing The Witcher 3 on PC. It's it's kind of a night and day experience, um, but it, it, it's an excellent game still. Really excited about it. Still got my you know chops into that pretty deep. Um, but also been playing some Valorant as well. Still, that's kind of been still my multiplayer game. I know that's nothing really too crazy, but, uh, since, you know, Mike rightfully so needed to talk about Halo, you know, I'll keep mine short cause there's nothing really too much different in my, uh, my gameplay cycle, uh, right now, because we're just in that lull of, you know, Hey, I got to find a game that I can lean into in terms of both multiplayer and, you know, a nice dense single player game. And I got that right now. So nothing really too different on my end, but with that being said, let's head into the news because, Mike, we got a jam-packed news day. Uh, a lot of shit that's been going around in the world of video games, specifically next-gen. So let's kick it off with some next-gen news. And this is hot off the presses coming today. We're recording Wednesday. Uh, show will go live Friday, but uh, really... The past two days have been pretty, pretty hefty with some news, so let's start into it. Uh, hot off the presses here, Unreal 5, Unreal Engine 5 announced with gorgeous PS5 demo. I know, I said the, the dirty word, the PS5. No, it, it doesn't matter. Guess what? Because shocker, Unreal Engine is on literally every single modern system and gaming platform, so deal with it um this comes from matt kim over on ign as always links in the description go over there make sure you give all of our uh articles that we do cite a click because the authors really do appreciate that it really does go far especially in these trying times it's super important to show um you know sponsors and things like that that help keep the lights on for them so by all means please go support your writers and stuff because we usually do pull a lot of info from these articles so Make sure you go and give a click on that. I digress. Today, Epic Games revealed the first look at Unreal Engine 5. It's a next-generation game engine designed with features meant to make games' worlds more detailed and dynamic. To show off off the power of its new game engine, Epic released a real-time tech demo called Lumen in the Land of Nanite, which runs live on the PlayStation 5. 
Lumen in the Land of Nanite is a fully playable title made up of Unreal Engine 5's two new tools, Lumens, a dynamic global illumination tool, and Nanite, a virtualized geometry that lets artists import film quality art and assets into Unreal Engine. The demo shows a woman venturing into a rocky cavern and discovering a hidden temple. The demo makes a particular point to highlight how light and objects react dynamically, and the demo ends with a thrilling flight through a crumbling canyon. All of the assets and visuals in the demo are reacting in real time, meaning the PlayStation 5 is processing the demo as it happens. Quote, I think a lot of people will ask, oh, is the demo real? But you know that the demo was gra- but you know that... Demo was grabbed from the back of a PlayStation 5 development kit, says Epic Games CTO Kim Liberi in an interview with IGM. An HDMI cable went into a disc recorder and played out real time. No editing, no tricks, that's what comes off the box. Incidentally, Sweeney made clear that the SSD in that dev kit is, quote, far ahead of current high-end PCs. Epic Games founder and CEO Tim Sweeney explained Unreal Engine 5 is meant to do, quote, to do things that are absolutely not possible today. This means offering new levels of photorealism and visuality, but also offer these tools in a way that increases the productivity and efficiency of game developers. Quote, Lumen and Nanite are not just order of magnitude leaps in visual quality, but they're also greatly simplifying technologies for the artists who build con- or build content, says Sweeney. The goal, according to Kim LeBerry, is to make game worlds as immersive and realistic as modern movies, but where the goal differs from previous game generations is how interactive that realism is. While the games this generation and older are detailed and realistic, they're also static. The Lumen and Nanite demo showcases multiple instances where changes in the environment happen in real time, and Unreal Engine 5 is capable of rendering these changes immediately. When rocks crumble, it's not a pre-rendered cutscene, but a high-resolution rock asset moving in real time based on the player's action. When a light source changes, it's not multiple tricks to stimulate or simulate a flashing light, but real-time processing power at work. Quote, if you notice, most video games today are pretty static environments. You know, things don't change. There's not a lot of cause and effect. You're lucky if you can change the state of the game and come back and it's actually changed. Unreal Unreal Engine 5 allows everything to be dynamic. Epic is quick to point out the quality of the assets used for the demo, which they say are film quality assets, as opposed to the other, or as opposed to ones typically used for video games. While movie level visuals are often higher quality, video game assets are lower resolution and are buoyed by development tricks to make them seem more realistic. Quote. The interesting thing is a lot of times artists are having to make those super high poly models anyways. They just have to take an extra step and build the low poly model, put a lot of time and care into that, and then bake all the high quality details into a normal map, says Epic Games VP of Engineering Nick Penwarden. Now they don't have to do the extra work of building that optimized low poly asset, and they get higher visual quality. What's more, Epic says that the level of quality seen in the demo is going to be easier to replicate, especially from smaller developers who previously didn't have the scale or time to render games at this level. Assets at this kind of level and quality will be available on the Unreal Engine or Unreal Store for other developers to easily use. Quote, it's really easy. You go to the Quixel Asset Store, download the rocks and the mountains and the assets you want, and you just place them in there, says LeBerry. It's actually massively lowering the barrier of entry 
of how complex it is to make a game level. Epic Games also announced that it's waiving royalties on the first $1 million in game revenue starting today, meaning developers using Unreal Engine will keep more of their profits. Epic, Epic Online Services is also available to make cross-platform easier. Fortnite will be releasing on next-gen consoles at launch and will be migrated to Unreal Engine 5 in mid-2021. Sweeney says Fortnite will likely be the first game running on Unreal Engine 5, but there are plenty of next-gen games currently in development using Unreal Engine 4, and even some first-party games will use Unreal Engine, though Sweeney did not specify whether it's Unreal Engine 4 or 5. Unreal Engine 5 will be available in preview early 2021, with a full release scheduled for later that year, and will support current and next-gen consoles, PC, Mac, iOS, and Android. Whew! There is obviously a lot to take in there. <laughs> and honestly... Me, personally, I'm pretty blown away by the presentation of Unreal Engine 5, considering, you know, if true, that this demo is truly a playable experience on quote-unquote consumer-grade hardware, you know, a PlayStation 5 development kit in this scenario, but really throw in Xbox Series X, PC, whatever, um, that we're really, truly into something special, more so than I personally honestly expected, and as we've talked before about more immersion improvements being emphasized over graphical leaps this upcoming generation, SSD loading, and things like that that help player experience and build that immersion level outside of just graphical fidelity. So, Mike, what sticks out to you the most just right off the bat with all of this announced? You know, what what really kind of drives things home for you? Um, I think the biggest my biggest takeaway with all of this is mm -hmm. it's going to be a little different than what people would normally think mm -hmm. when it comes to this topic in particular. Um, I notice that the PS five dev kit has a, like, I know I read that their solid state drive isn't is super beefy. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back and looking at video games mm -hmm. from the beginning to now and where we've come and where we're going, I think the biggest takeaway that everyone should have, and the one that would surprise everyone, is the impact of pushing storage to new heights, meaning mm -hmm. pushing solid state drives to places that we didn't think existed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've talked about this to people, but it's funny. I remember when we were in high school, a 16 gig flash drive was like 80 or 90 bucks. Like oh my if, God. Like, if yeah. you had a 16 gig flash drive, you had a big swing and dig. Hell, that if you had like a gigabyte board. flash drive even. Yeah. And now, you know, they, they, I put an MVME chip in my computer and it's a 500 gig chip. That's as small as a flash drive. Yeah. And the speeds of it are unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is how far these solid state drives are going to go as far as reducing loading times because a big thing with the Xbox 360 and the Xbox One when they're pushing graphics to where they were pushing them was just pure loading time. Mm -hmm. Loading times were getting pretty crazy and it was taking away from the experience. And walking into buildings and then having to render that building and, and things of that nature was really taking away from the immersion. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing with Unreal 5 and the next-gen systems are how good can solid state drives get to push these experiences to the absolute limit? Meaning, once I load the game, 
my solid state drive is going to be able to load as I'm playing without me having to stop for a loading screen. Mm-hmm. That to me is super important when we're going into these next gen discussions. Unreal Engine 5 is something that we knew had to be coming. And this is something that Valve fans with CSGO have talked about with Source 2 for a long time. Now, you know, with Valorant pushing Counter-Strike, mm-hmm. with Unreal 5 coming out, and Valorant's going to go to Unreal 5, it seems. We're talking about, like, now what's... It's like your move, Valve. Are you going to update CSGO yeah. and put in Source 2? And, you know, within a month, Source 2 is going to be showcased, and you're going to be like, you bastards have literally been sitting on this, just waiting for someone to push you, and they're going to be like, yeah, we just didn't want to do it, because why? And mm. now we have a why, you know? So... Yeah. Um, for me, just again, just to just retouch on the most important point is where solid state drives are going to go and where they're going to get us. Mm-hmm. And also what's Valve's next move with Unreal 5 being released. Uh, I'm thrilled that, you know, this is going to be, re- you know, it's going to put more money in the devs pockets. It's mm-hmm. going to mean that there might be more indie devs out there that get their toes wet or feet wet in the dev suit in the dev sphere and we might see the rise of new developers that, you know, this generation has been particularly good to indie devs, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I think indie devs have gotten signed by Microsoft and done really good, really good work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this Unreal Engine 5 and putting more money in the pockets of the creators is going to make it more profitable for people to stay indie and or even just make an indie dev and then, you know, put a game out there that's great. And it's if, even if it's independent and then you might get signed by some of the bigger sharks because in a capitalist economy, there's always going to be big corporations that are looking to buy up these smaller ones. Mm-hmm. And I'm just excited to see what Unreal 5 does for our indie, you know, our indie developers out there and see if, you know, maybe um, there's going to be new talent that rises to the top to kind of knock off some of these old dogs. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And, and you actually make a really good point about uh, the SSDs and how, really this technology is going to affect them because of how large i mean you gotta think too man you see something like that tech demo where they're using photogrammetry and these high detailed textures on top of using realistic ray tracing lighting in their own like spin on it with their lumen uh technology that they're using my instant thought was holy fuck games are going to be beautiful and realistic but like these next gen systems better have like a 40 terabyte like size fucking hard drive in it because there's no way games aren't going to be like 200 300 gigabytes like right off the bat like yeah we better have like a five terabyte minimum hard drive in these systems but with that said the ability to take movie quality assets and film quality assets right from the same technology that they're using and just literally plugging and playing in with that um, seems like the technology that they've developed on the software end of this to be able to provide simplicity with developers seems like it's going to be something that transitions as well to the storage facility as well that it seems like it's going to be in a way that it's still going to be compressed well enough that it's going to this new ssd technology that you know especially from what it sounds like not only does microsoft have 
you know, its own specialized SSD that they've talked about, but Sony as well, that it's really going to be able to take advantage of that really well and actually still get the same quality asset that's being touted or the ability to use that asset and still be able to maintain that performance from a speed standpoint and a memory standpoint from that SSD technology. Um, so that's a really good point. I, to be honest, I was thinking about that, but not as deep as that really, but I think um, it's, I think it's worthwhile to throw in while we're just talking about this, mm -hmm. just because I, I do think it's important, um, you know, to, to build off of the SSD discussion is like, you're saying it, they better have how, you know, a ton of storage, right? Mm -hmm. I agree. But then I also look at it in a way it's like, you know, this is like games as a service streaming, you know, or if games are going to be so big, are we going to be expected to stream them straight from the internet? Um, mm -hmm. you know, just something to kind of think about in the back of your mind. And, and also like you're saying with these cinematic experiences, is this like part of the downfall of now they're like movies are always going to be a medium and Hollywood's always going to exist. And people are always going to want to go see media media in that form. Mm -hmm. But as our generation gets older is it, are movies going to die because wh who the, who wouldn't want to, be in their favorite movie but control everything mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying oh 100 um, now that that's something that i'm not like 100 percent sold on and saying it's definitely going to happen mm -hmm. but it's just something to kind of think about as technology pushes forward like you know what 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 does this mean going forward for everyone mm -hmm. no and definitely you know and that kind of that was another point i was going to kind of bring up to you you know is the ability to easily implement movie quality assets at a very plug and play level, like Tim Sweeney and multiple other members of Epic Games was saying, you know, is that the one one of the last big missing pieces or, you know, issues in the I guess you can call it entertainment barrier that gaming faces compared to other media um, compared to the past where they've had to lower, like they were saying, lower poly counts in their assets and visual quality in the past that has, you know, to some people steered them away from video games and say, well, you know, I just watched avatar and, you know, I wanted to play the game. Well, it looks like shit. Like, you know, okay, whatever. Like, does this finally blur the lines more so than it did in the past between film and games where to me, us on the inside, us, us who cover the games industry, us who are enthusiasts, who are passionate about this entertainment medium. We, we've seen games for so long that we know that there's no justification needed for the, like gaming as a true entertainment medium and especially gaming as an art you know, we don't need justification, but it seems like the rest of the world still does. There's still that stigma, and I don't think that's necessarily ever going to go away, but does something like this being able to blur that line even more than just, you know, cutscenes were one thing, but now this is legitimate gameplay. This is in-engine. This is true gameplay that you're getting hands on the sticks, and you're able to experience that tech demo that is having realistic you know, textures and lighting and the photogrammetry that goes into it, there's multiple millions of polygons that are within just this one tiny rock to give you this visual. Does this blur that line finally? I think... Um, or at least a solid step in that direction. 
I, I think so. Um, I know you and I are two people, and I know plenty of other people that are our age. And, mm-hmm. and I say that like we're old, but you know, like us old heads. Years, around the thirty year year mark, that like hey, yeah, 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 let's let's okay around the twenty seven year old. Mark, Thank you. Um, I, <laughs> I ain't dead yet. <laughs> we all still. I still enjoy film an incredible amount. Oh my god! I yeah. do really enjoy sitting back and in fil- and enjoying like a cinematic experience that mm-hmm. you know actors and and, and being told brings. a story being told a impactful story where you have truly no control over it is mm-hmm. still one of the best experiences possible like yes. being told somebody's story that you don't have any interaction with is still uh, one of the best experiences i'll ever have Absolutely. that's why i love going to movies but i'm also like you I love if given the choice, I want to interact with it as well. For sure, you know, and that's why and, we're so and, tied to gaming. And this is this is like just to kind of you know bring it full circle. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I can't speak for the younger generation. I don't know what fourteen and thirteen year olds that are fourteen and thirteen right now enjoy more. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they do like movies, but we grew up. And I'm going to do my job as a parent to show my kids movies that I think are very important for you to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have those movies in our echelon. And there's movies like The Shawshank Redemption that, like, no matter where you come from in life, that's a top five movie. And if you don't think so, you don't understand cinema. But, mm-hmm. you know, we all have our different our differences. And I'm going to show my children cinema because I enjoy it. But who's to say that there's people who – might prefer to do video games in the future and maybe kids in the future don't want to watch cinema. Mm -hmm. Um, Now this is all just like throwing stones into the water, you know, kind of like Robert Zemeckis did with, with back to the future too. But like, dude, like, you know, things are changing a lot faster than people thought they were. While we don't have hovering cars, gaming's getting pushed to the next level. and, And, you know, the changes that are being made to, virtual reality, all that stuff, it's pushing boundaries. And, and we might see cinema, you know, people who are famous actors today in 20, 30 years, the most famous Hollywood actors might be voice actors in video games. Hell yeah. And, and, and that's just the way it's going to be. And it might not be, but, you know, there's always resurgences, you know, where we hearken back to classic. We, you know, I use that term classic, like, mm-hmm. In 2020, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of 20s themed parties. There already are. And mm-hmm. there's going to be themed things that go back to histor- history. But going forward, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see movies take a huge dip because people would rather control them, you know? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. And as, as future technology progresses, who's to say that, that gaming companies can't put algorithms in their games to give you infinite amount of possibilities in your games? Mm-hmm. Every choice you make spurs and other infinite possibilities you know what i mean yeah i mean even to you i mean even to the base degree and a very you know even in 2020 looking at it and even 20 i mean even looking at it at in 2011 it seemed very archaic once you truly found the meat of it but look at skyrim skyrim had truly technically infinite quest lines granted they were repetitive a bit after a while like and you could tell that what was built into it was you know okay, I see what you're doing here. This, yeah, you're technically doing that. And even in 2011, we were like, okay, that's 
you're kind of bullshitting us. But I've had enough. <laughs> right. But the point being that even at that point, even the basis of that, they were able to pull off and do it at a, you know, Skyrim being one of the most successful games of all time, um, in critically acclaimed games of all time, whether, you know, it's our fav- favorite in the series or not. It's, it's one of the most impactful games of all time. And it was able to pull that off almost 10 years ago. So, you know, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility that we could see that happen. And it, it's just, we are living in such a unique time for entertainment in general, but specifically games, because more people are gaming more than ever, and more lenses are fixed, and more cameras are fixed on gaming right now than ever. More eyes are on gaming, more people are gaming more than ever. So that's hopefully not only you know, obviously a great thing because more people are gaming and this is a medium that we've loved for so long. And now, you know, I, I say it all the time, jokingly, the nerds be winning right now. Like we're, we're fucking winning right now. It's, it's paid off for eating comics and playing video games all my life. And, you know, sports were great for a while, you know, and I still love sports, but you know, I've always been a nerd forever. So it's like this, all of this is starting to pay off now, but, and I say that in a joking manner, but you know, it's, it's never been a better time to do that, but it's also going to hopefully with more eyes on it, continue to push creatives and people who handle the technology of this and who are developing this to reach new heights, to even push past what like this should, this should just be the beginning. And I I really see that being, we are on the, on the, you know, brink and the cusp of really entering, I believe one of the true next golden eras of gaming. And I even thought that towards, you know, halfway through this generation, but I really am starting to see it now that we're really close to something very unique and very special for this medium. And I think this is going to help it. Um, But just kind of rounding out the conversation a little bit on um, UE5 here, you know, with a 2021 release date on it, we're not necessarily going to see content take advantage of it at the launch of next-gen systems this year, obviously, but Unreal Engines are known really for their flexibility when developing titles. Um, It's always been one of those things that, hey, it's running on UE. It, it At least it could be scaled. It can be, you know, it's something that can be ported. Uh, you know, it'll take a little work, but it's very doable. You know, all this jazz. Um, But it's known for being very flexible. Do you think many games that are looking to launch in the next, you know, say like 12 months, you know, being developed or be developing their games on in Unreal Engine 4 with the plan to eventually move or try to shift to Unreal Engine 5 like Fortnite is planning to do? Or do you think we will see more titles potentially do a soft reboot on their development? You know, games that may be a little bit earlier in development even seeing potential delays, but in a good way to help with the longevity of their projects by adopting Unreal Engine 5 now, potentially, or as soon as possible, even getting in on a preview build. I think they're definitely in a tough spot. I think de- developers now, they don't know what what the capabilities are with Unreal 5. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something they might think about is looking at, at it from a perspective of, we can re- we know what Unreal Engine 4 does. We can develop this game for Unreal 4. When Unreal 5 releases, we can release a graphics package or a graphics update or a graphical change. Mm-hmm. But as far as 
just pure game engines, like they're not going to be 100% sure what all can be done with Unreal 5. Mm-hmm. So it'd be really hard for me to say, and I'm sure, I, I'm not sure what devs would have to say about it because I'm not a dev, but for me, it would be like, it would basically be like <clears throat> writing a novel mm-hmm. and basically with two languages that are really similar. So let's say you're, you speak Spanish and you write a Spanish novel, but Mm -hmm. there's people in Brazil and Portugal that are like, Hey, what about us? I can't read Spanish. It's close, but it's not quite Portuguese because Portuguese as a language is super close to Spanish, but it also throws some Latin and French influence in there. Mm -hmm. So to me, that would be like the comparison I would make. Basically you're getting a game that, is made for Unreal 4, and you don't really know what Unreal 5 is going to bring to you as far as just gameplay and everything, so you don't know what you can do with it. But mm-hmm. you know what the graphics are going to look like, right? So that's that's what I would think they would do. But games that are like currently in development or in the very infant stages of development, um, like a game like Elder Scrolls 6... Mm-hmm. Like, that was instantly not, the game that I thought about. when You're not kind rushing of... to get the game out. No. And and even so, even recently, I mean, this week, Pete Hines, uh, who is the head of, you know, communication VP at Bethesda, came out and was saying to somebody who was asking about it on Twitter, responded and was just like, look, man, like, it was very frank. And I, I'm a huge fan of Pete's. I think he's one of the realest dudes in gaming. Personally, I know that there's been some back and forth between some publications and Bethesda about holding review copies, but... I've always thought Pete is so transparent and so gamer friendly with a lot of the approaches he takes with Bethesda. And I, me personally, I think he is a better, you know, I don't want to say talking head because that's kind of a negative connotation to it, but he is a very good spokesperson and he's a very good flag bearer for Bethesda. And I think even a little bit better than Todd, um, cause I think he's better communicating with people, but you know, he even came out and said, look, we haven't even shown stuff on Starfield yet, and that's next in line, so I wouldn't be holding your breath. Like, Elder Scrolls is years away, like, quoted years and years away. So you got to think, we're looking at, this game ain't coming out till, if you ask me, gun to my head, bare minimum 2023. Um, if not, twenty yes, between yes. 2023 and 2025, this game's coming out. Oh, um, yeah. It's it, and who knows things could change whatever. But in the small preview that they showed during the Elder Scrolls 25th anniversary, like 20 30 minute video they put out talking all about the series, I believe it was later last year. I can't remember exactly, but it was within the last year that they put it out, and they showed some early scans of like they showed some computers with some very early assets that were being built clearly for the elder Scrolls six, even mentioning like they're using photogrammetry. They're using the high level assets that are photorealistic that play right into it. And granted Bethesda's always been one to use their own engines. They're using a modified version of the creation engine for this game, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't adopt some tools from Unreal Engine 5 to help them with that development process. That's not completely out of the question. Because an, an engine, at the end of the day, isn't one specific program. It's, it's a set of tools that you're using for this. Right. That kind of bundled into one package. All it is is a set of tools. So there's no saying that you know they could work with, Unre- uh, with Epic Games to say, hey, we're looking to do this and, you know, 
sure, after, at the end of the day, outside of our, you know, it may work out that they end up getting an Epic Games, you know, store exclusive exclusivity with one of their upcoming games or whatever, and they get access to high-end portions of these tool sets or whatever. You get what I'm saying. But, you know, that's not out of the question. And it's games like that that I think are going to be the ones who are just saying, you know what, fuck it, let's hold out a little bit. That's we're not in a, we're obviously not in a rush. This game ain't coming out anytime soon. Let's try to rework some of our assets into what it's going to what we potentially could see being implemented with the lighting system that they have, with the, you know, photogrammetry tool set. See if we can implement that into our creation engine or the Gamebryo engine or whatever you want to call it. Um, just using them as an example, but I don't think it's out of the ordinary. I don't think it's something that necessarily I see this I see that more games that are within the that are planning maybe within the next twenty four months using that, like two year window. But I see a lot of games potentially uh, like live service games that are planning on using this maybe plan for a lower like aim aim their assets to potentially be able to shift to unreal engine 5 at a much easier pace and maybe stifle your development with unreal engine 4 to kind of manage that. i could i could just see some reworks being now that this is publicly available to people or in terms of you know being able to actually have information on this publicly I see more smaller developers and more studios where that are having games that are digitally owned, digitally sold only, stuff like that, that may be rethinking some of their development processes with this. But Mike, let's move on to our next one here because we got a few more to go through. So here I am really kind of doing everything I can, really holding on to what I am, kind of pretending I'm a Superman because I'm so fucking hyped. Because Tony Hawk, Pro Skater 1 and 2 are being remastered for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Let's fucking go. Um, This comes from Andrew Webster over on The Verge. As always, link in the description. You'll be able to shred as Tony Hawk and friends again very soon. Today, Activision announced a new remastered collection. Quote unquote remastered. We'll talk about that. That brings together the first two Tony Hawk Pro Skater games into one modern package with new features like online play and more robust course builder. It'll be coming to the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC via the Epic Game Store on September 4th. First, here are the basics. The remastered collection will feature updated visuals, all the original levels, characters, and tricks, extra challenges, a more elaborate Crate a Park mode where you can share custom skate parks online and brand new online multiplayer modes along with local multiplayer on top of that the game will include quote unquote the vast majority of the iconic tony hawk pro skater soundtrack though not every song made it due to licensing issues the remaster is being handled by vicarious visions which has some history both with the skate franchise and remaining games or remaking games. Some of the studio's earlier projects were the surprisingly excellent portable versions of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, with more recently the developer released the Crash Bandicoot Insane Insane Trilogy, also a remaster of PlayStation-era classics. Quote, I believe that makes us the ideal studio to faithfully remaster Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, said Vicarious Vision COO Simon Ebger. According to Ebger, working on projects like Crash taught the studio that remastering a beloved game is something of or something of a balancing act. Quote, the challenging 
uh, the challenge of a faithful remaster is knowing where to push the boundaries and what to keep sacred. He said, it is important to capture the original experience. The goal, he explains, was to, quote, make it feel like a game meant for 2020. With that in mind, the new Tony Hawk's Pro Skater retains largely the same core as the original in terms of how it controls and how it's structured. With the, uh, what's new is what Ibjur describes as the metagame that connects the two titles together. From the sound of it, players will be able to dip in and out of both titles, and in doing so, will unlock pieces of the online park creator mode, which is somewhat separate. Quote, we didn't want the game to be, okay, you play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1, and then you play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, and start over from scratch, just like you would have if you bought the games back in the day, Ebger says. The meta that sits over top of everything allows players to not feel like they're losing progress by playing either one of the games. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is well known both for its roster of real-world skaters and its incredible soundtrack. When it came to the skaters, the entire cast has returned, and there were no issues with likenesses, according to Ebger. Quote, they were all super stoked to get on board, he, he says. Those were pivotal moments in all of these skaters' careers. They were up and coming at the time, and now they are all truly icons in the sport. The lineup will include not only Hawk, but the likes of Steve Caballero, Jeff, Ra- Jeff Rowley, Bucky Lassick, Eliza Steamer, uh, Kareem Campbell, Andrew Reynolds, Bob Burnquest, and Chad Muska. Music was a different situation. It's not clear how many of the original songs will be featured in the game, nor which artists will be back, but there are at least a few that won't make it due to licensing issues. Quote, the game is 20 plus years old, Ebger notes. We've got the vast majority, and I'm really excited about that. The Pro Skater series remains beloved, but over the years, Tony Hawk branded games have become less exciting. Whether that's failed, but ambitious projects like the peripheral-based ride, or more recently forays into mobile gaming, the, the franchise has lost much of its luster, which is part of what makes the remaster so exciting. It's a chance to go back to the beginning, where Tony Hawk was at his best. Quote, it's timeless, Ebger says, of the original Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. So, I feel like, once again, this was one of another one of those worst-kept secrets in the gaming industry, where so many people were coming out confirming it was in development, and even coming out this year... But it wasn't anybody intrinsically tied to the industry. It was like pro skaters on podcasts and musicians on interviews and things like that. So really first, Mike, I guess, what are your hype levels on this remake? What do you, when you saw this, what were you, like how hyped were you? You know, and what's your lineage, I guess, with the franchises that made you hyped or not? Um, I liked, I would have liked it to be one, two and three. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of wishing that it was one, two, and three, I was really excited for it. Um, the game does look like a complete remake versus remaster. We've had this discussion on the show before, mm-hmm. but it does look like it's a total rework. And that's why I kind of said that because mm-hmm. it's. I believe people find it, and and at times this is me being maybe a little too nitpicky, but it's. I believe people find the words remaster and remake kind of interchangeable, and that's not the case. Where this, to me, even if it's using the same engine, it's still a, from the ground up, you know, visuals. You're putting in clearly all new assets for everything involved that I think that justifies a remake. If it's a remaster, you're just, you know, upscaling a lot of stuff. You're putting a little bit of polish on 
assets that are just clearly already there. I always go back to look at The Last of Us and The Last of Us Remastered. You're putting a fresh polish or fresh coat of paint on there, polishing everything up, making it shiny, you know, scaling it up to a higher resolution, for the most part, at least. Right. So, but what is your, I guess, what's your hype levels on it overall? What's, uh, you go, you're kind of like me. You, you're tied to Tony Hawk in the terms of the franchise and playing it. Um, but my, obviously, my heart's with the first, you know, few that came out. And then I kind of got on a gap. And then Thug came out, got back into that. Like, yeah, it, it, I kind of evolved with the series in its initial evolutions, I guess. Sure, yeah. For me, um, it's it's exciting. Uh, I hope with the rework they focus more on the arcadey crazy play play style that was mm-hmm. prevalent with these games um i just remember the biggest thing with like tony hawk 2 um and on was just like the incredibly long combos you could pull off that was like rewarding like dropping like million and a half point combos mm-hmm. um and that's what i i hope they really work on um the game looks great i am really excited for it i've been mm-hmm. longing to kind of play like a new tony hawk um just because i do think it's really enjoyable and fun so mm-hmm. we'll see what they do with it. But yeah, I mean, my hype level is pretty high. I'm excited for it. I think, um, you know, I think it'll be a good time and I'll think, I think, you know, I'll have fun with it. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely me too. It, I think it's priced at the right price point too, at $40 for the base game. Um, you know, I, I'm like you, I would like to see three in there. I think when they do these remakes or even remasters too, um, even if they're not doing it, like uh, it was just announced today. I don't have it in the dock, unfortunately, because to me, I, I'm not intrinsically driven to the franchise, but uh, Mafia was just announced. Uh, the Mafia franchise was just announced to do a trilogy remake. It looks like, um, you know, and it's, they have the three main games from that series that are people know. I, it seems like most of the time when a game franchise that has has multiple, multiple entries in it, like Tony Hawk, like things like that, they usually try to do trilogies because normally the first couple of games are going to be decades old. They're not going to be as content deep as you would expect or, you know, the visual quality or whatever you want to have. It doesn't necessarily meet up to par of having a $60 price tag or even a $40 price tag in some people's eyes. But to me, I would have liked to see seen that trilogy pop in because I think if I remember correctly, the third one is one of the best reviewed games of all time. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was like a 98 on Metacritic or something like that still to this day. Like, so it it's one of those that I would have loved to see actually hit, you know, give us a three package. But to be honest, I'll take whatever I can get with getting a Tony Hawk game back here. Um, I, I'm like you. I know we kind of talked about this yesterday off the show, obviously. But, you know, okay, cool. Now remake Thug. Now give us that experience because that's a game that you and I really loved. But um, so... You know, what do you think has made this franchise so transcendent in the world of licensed and really sports games compared to its peers? Why does Tony Hawk's namesake and this trilogy or this uh, franchise's namesake really still bear weight in the gaming industry compared to, you know, games that have come and gone that even are, you know, not sports games, not licensed projects that you would think still would be pumping out games, but they're not. And 
people are still clamoring for Tony Hawk over that, you know? So what, why has it had so much staying power, I guess, even with, you know, one poor entry five years ago, and that's all we've gotten in the past almost decade? Yeah, I think the game kind of came on the scene at the perfect time. Um, it kind of came on at the time that, like, extreme sports if you will just mm-hmm. i don't know what else to really describe that extreme but yeah like the x games and everything like though that the fascination with the x games was really beginning to take off right mm-hmm. people were really interested in these crazy sports that were for all intents and purposes kind of i mean they were definitely like not classic classical sports in any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Tony Hawk was the biggest name in skateboarding and everyone kind of have an, it had an infatuation with him because he could fly do nine hundreds and out of the half pipe. And he was doing things and, and pushing barriers, you know, in a sport that people were really people that couldn't even skateboard were skateboard were like watching. And I think it was a factor of like, I can't believe people actually do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you picked up a skateboard, um, or if you started to snowboard or whatever, I still love watching the X games because I've snowboarded. I know how hard it is. And then you have people that just do crazy things. And, and, you know, that's a lot like hockey for me and even golf and baseball. Like you kind of gain this appreciation for these sports because you've done it, you know, how difficult it is. But with, with Tony Hawk and at that point in time, you know, gaming was really starting to take off a popular with popularity, uh-huh. and that the game, the fact that gaming was taking off in the nature that it was, and that sport and that type of sport was taking off was kind of like a perfect storm. And, and Tony Hawk being the most popular person, you know, it just kind of caught wildfire. And they just made a really fun game. They made a game that wasn't very technical to just pick up i mean the combos and everything are technical but just to pick it up and have fun with it it wasn't overtly difficult no and it wasn't super simulation-y uh, i think that's the problem they ran into recently was trying to make the games really mm-hmm. simulation strong and not yeah. as crazy and arcadey and people are just looking for that experience more and i think so i think, I think um just so off yeah oh yeah not to interrupt you but just to kind of build on your point and i think that i think that's why Skate hurt Tony Hawk so much whenever it came out, um, because Skate came out looking for that simulation experience. And EA, granted, whatever you think of EA and whatnot at this point, and they know simulation sports, and they were able to produce a title that was so great at being an actual simulation of skating with exactly how you got to do this, this, and this to actually flip your board to do a kickflip or whatever, you know? So it's when they came out and did that and it succeeded for a specific sect of the audience saying, Hey, I want that. Now I've been playing arcade versions of skating for so long. I want this. This is more realistic. This is what I see when I skateboard every day where it felt like Tony Hawk needed to go in that direction. And to me personally, I think the two could coexist so easily where Tony Hawk didn't need to put out Project 8. I remember back in the day playing that Project 8 demo on my 360 in the early years of 360 being like, this is great, but Skate does this better, and this is not what I want out of Tony Hawk. I want that arcade experience. I want that almost Crazy Taxi-esque level of an experience that is, you know, a time attack or whatever, but it's over the top in a sense, but still, like, 
not believable, but grounded in what you're doing in a sense. It's grounded to atmospherics and whatnot for the most part, except for whenever you're fucking playing as Darth Maul or some shit in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. So it, it it's just one of those things that I part of me is like so happy that Skate came along because it pushed what skateboarding games could be and it provided a simulation experience for somebody who skateboarded back in the day, loved playing Skate because of that reason, but somebody who wanted to skateboard because of Tony Hawk and loved what those Tony Hawk games did because there were people that I was friends with who played skate, but, or that played Tony Hawk, but didn't want to play skate because they didn't fucking care about like Tony Hawk was just fun because it almost had that NFL blitz mentality to it where it was pick up and play. Anybody could play it. Anybody could understand the concept of it for the most part that it lowered so many barriers of entry into what skateboarding was that, skateboarding was kind of the last thing about it it was just pure fun it was built to be fun that anybody could pick up and play it um that i think resonates more overall than what skate has done and skate's a great franchise and i fucking wish they would just make skate four already you cowards but you know (laughs) just i i think tony the gaming industry having more tony hawk experiences like this is only going to be good for both sides of it. And I think Tony Hawk, to me, this seems like, you know, maybe a dip in the uh, dip of a toe into the water to see how people react to this. Cause I'll be honest, like they touted, you know, Jeff Keighley touted today's announcement, which turned out to be unreal engine five was the much more important one of this. Obviously. Yes, absolutely. It was the much more important announcement that came out of summer games fest because this is something that's going to move the industry forward in all regards. But, you know, to me, I think he undersold how big of an announcement that Tony Hawk game was for audiences in general, not just those who tune into his stream or his Summer of Games Fest streams to get these announcements, who watch E3 every year, the enthusiasts like us. Because my timeline on Facebook, Twitter, everything was fucking flooded from people we went to high school with, people we grew up with, cousins who were like 10 years older than me, sharing, holy shit, they're making a new Tony Hawk game. I gotta go get a place, I gotta go get an Xbox, I gotta go, I gotta upgrade my computer to play it, or whatever, like, I gotta play this, no matter what, like, that it, it crosses those boundaries, There's, you saw so many outlets that traditionally don't cover games like barstool sports and granted they have a uh, gaming twitter account but them pumping the tires of this and like so many people sharing that being like dude i gotta play this so to me i think this is a big toe in the water to see how people take these kind of experiences because while graphics are great and you know the fidelity that we're going to see, the realism that we're going to see come out of next gen. And like we just talked about blurring those lines at the same time, we do still experience games to take us to other worlds and other experiences. And those experiences don't necessarily all need to be lifelike. They don't need to be, they could be over the top goofy and, you know, fun, like playing games are supposed to be fun. And realism doesn't necessarily need to be one of those and that's where i think experiences like tony hawk are going to be still so important next gen no matter how crazy you know and beautiful games are going to look we're still going to need those fun ass experiences that are just kind of off the wall that anybody can pick up and play so 
what do you think? Do you think we're going to see a potential next-gen Tony Hawk game? If Obviously, if this does well, do you think in the next two to three years we could potentially see a Tony Hawk Pro Skater 6 or just a straight-up reboot Tony Hawk's Pro Skater? I think, I think so. I don't see why not. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see what... It'll, it'll be based off the performance of these games, and then mm-hmm. basing it off the performance of the re-release of these games will push them to you know, kind of recreate that experience in a next-gen platform. I mean, uh, thinking about a game like Tony Hawk's Underground and next-gen, like, oh my God. Xbox Series X, like, just the things you could do with it. But keeping the gameplay arcade you mm-hmm. know, like, the storylines you can just go wild with. But the gameplay, just let it get crazy. Why not, you know? Um, yeah. It, it doesn't have to be a realistic game. It could be, you know, a realistic storyline but mm-hmm. the gameplay and the tricks everyone are doing just make it have fun with it don't get, be so serious you know what i mean just oh yeah make people do 1080s it on a whim easily and all these crazy tricks because why not like mm-hmm. who's saying you can't you know it's a video game just let just have fun with it so that's that's i i see i don't see why it, it couldn't happen i could see it happening um in fact you know based on performance from this game i think we'll see a new iteration of the game if, if, if these games do well enough sales wise. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. I, I think that'll always be on the table. Tony Hawk is still a name that has, you know, some weight to it that, you know, even, even though me personally, I don't think skateboarding is at the height of what it was in the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, in terms of popularity, even towards the mid two thousands, whenever you had kind of that, rejuvenated mtv era of skateboarding with bam Margera and you know whatnot um we're not at that level anymore a lot of the drugs and shit and that's all out of skateboarding now it's it's become a much more i don't want to say professional because it was professional but like it's become a much more legitimized sport overall comparative to an extreme sport you know so it's there's still some weight to it but people still know who Tony Hawk is. It's like Hulk Hogan. Like you still have those names that are always synonymous with pop culture that I think Tony Hawk is one of those that if they're going to put out a Tony Hawk game, it'll sell like this is going to sell at $40. This is going to sell. This is, this is going to do fine for what it is. And I think it has the potential to do great for what it is. It's going to sell gangbusters, right? You're going to have people all across a ton of different, you know, sex, uh, sex, not sex, you know, sect, S-E-C-T. This is a family-friendly show. What the fuck you think I'm talking about sex for? You know, so... No, I'm just Yeah, kidding. like we have that. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Premarital sex? No, thank you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but... You only say that because you can't get it. Neither can I. Listen, this is getting a little too real now. All right, the and joke was going on. The, the joke was going on a little bit. No, it's getting... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, uh, but... You get what I'm saying. So, you know, it's going to sell so much across a multitude of different different consumer bases that the enthusiasts are going to buy it. Like, you and I were both talking. We're like, dude, we're probably going to, like, I'm going to get this on PC. I'm like, I was just thinking I was going to get this on PC. So, like, people who are, have the higher-end gaming PCs like we do, we're going to buy it on that. We're going to have the people who play consoles only they're going to make sure they have that installed day one especially they're giving the warehouse demo out for that hell yeah i'm gonna pre-order that i want to play that warehouse demo like the pizza hut demo disc baby give me that shit so you know and more importantly it's going to have those people who 
thought about, you know, oh, I haven't played video games so long. Holy shit, a new Tony Hawk. I got to go out and buy a PS4. Oh, shit, I can get one on Craigslist for 100 bucks. Fuck, yeah, let's, oh, the PS5's coming out? Well, maybe if I like this, I'm only spending 100 bucks on this. Yeah, maybe if I like this, I'll get into next gen. And then more people are buying back into gaming again. Um, and it's for stuff like this. These smaller experiences do really pay off. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm really excited to see how that pans out. And at the end of the day, more Tony Hawk is never going to hurt. It's still a great experience, especially they, having couch co-op on top of multiplayer. But more importantly, I think couch co-op is a the heart of Tony Hawk that they made sure they had that is huge. Um, so I'm really excited to dive in. It'll be a that. nice like palate cleanser from other games. Too. Oh my god, absolutely. Something that like is so different. I mean, even the other day, I I bought Session on Steam because uh, it was on sale for ten dollars. Because I was like, I, I just would like to have a skateboarding game in my library of some sort, and I I'm not going to play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Five. I'm not going to dig out you know whatever older system I need to to make sure it's plugged in. To, to then find a copy of the game that hopefully it's backwards compatible, even if it's, you know, playing it on a 360, but the Xbox one doesn't necessarily the backwards compatibility on Xbox one doesn't support that only the 360 does and you know, yada, yada. But I digress, Mike, let's move on to our last news article that we have here as we kind of round out the show here. Xbox lead Phil Spencer says the industry will start to see impacts of coronavirus in early 2021 as some crucial aspects of video game production have quote-unquote basically stopped. This comes from Ben Gilbert over on Business Insider. Shocker, we were just talking about this how many weeks now. Um... In March 2020, as the coronavirus began to rapidly spread across the United States, the video game business was having its best month in over 10 years. Spurred by the extremely shareable Animal Crossing New Horizons from Nintendo and endlessly replayable Call of Duty Modern Warfare from Activision, millions of people sheltering in place turned to video games for entertainment. Sales of hardware, software, accessories, and game cards topped $1.6 billion in March, or for March, the highest reported spend for a March month since the $1.8 billion achieved in March 2008, according to the NPD Group's monthly report. But by March 2021, the game or the industry could start to see the broader effects of the coronavirus. Games planned to launch next year and beyond are most likely to face in- issues with development that could lead to delays or cancellations. Quote, through the summer and early fall, I feel pretty good about those games, Microsoft's Xbox leader Phil Spencer told Business Insider. Quote, games that we're targeting a year from now and beyond, there'll be some impact, but they'll be able to react. Many of those titles have yet to be revealed, but all blockbuster games take years to make, with hundreds or thousands of people working in offices around the world, something that's become nearly impossible during a global pandemic. Studios outright can't remotely do the motion capture, or as a lot of people I'm sure have heard in the past, quote-unquote, mocap, or audio work needed to put the finishing touches on a game. Quote, mocap is just something that's basically stopped. We're not going into mocap studios, Spencer told Business Insider. Quote, if you had all of your animation captured and you're doing touch-up in more individual art production in areas like textures and other things, you're in a better position. If you're waiting for a lot of either large audio work when it's the symphonies or, and other things or mocap, you're held up right now and you're making progress in areas that you are that you can. <laughs> Annual sports franchises like Madden and FIFA are a good place to start. Quote, it's really in those type of games that... We're trying to finally get all their assets based together in terms of art production that they might have the biggest impact, Spencer said. 
One thing that appears to still be on track, Microsoft's next-gen game console, the Xbox Series X, which is scheduled to arrive this holiday season. Spencer is overseeing the launch of the Xbox Series X, his first new console launch as the head of Xbox team at Microsoft. Quote, even though we're obviously not traveling to China, we feel good about our progress on hardware, Spencer said. I've got my take-home console downstairs and I'm playing it most nights and I feel good about the software updates that we're doing. That doesn't mean launch will be totally unaffected. Quote, from the kind of pomp and circumstance around launches, you might find a time where there's some impact, he said. But some things that were going to launch and may maybe they moved a little bit. Regardless, Spencer remains confident not only in the upcoming Xbox console launch, but in the larger game industry as it struggles to deal with the fallout of the global pandemic. Quote, I'm pretty confident in the industry's ability to continue steady flow of games coming out, he said. There's a lot of games in production across the industry right now, and I think we're going to be, as an industry, we're going to be fine. I'm bullish on what this means in the long run for games, even if there's certain or even if there's a certain impact to a certain launch window for certain titles that we might see. So this is kind of confirmation of what we talked about previously on multiple shows over the past two months for the most part. Uh, now that we've been really almost shelter in place for at least a sol- over a solid month now and really all of us working from home for two months almost now, you know, it's not the short-term effects we're going to see. Short-term, for the most part, games like, and we've seen quick bounce backs from big gaming titles from all, you know, every platform. The Last of Us Part Two was able to bounce back at a new release date that really delayed it only not even a month. So, you know, it's, it's games like that. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake that kind of got, you know, shuffled around a little bit in terms of its production that some places got it early. They shipped it early to make sure, you know, people weren't getting super delayed and some people can only pick it up on release like, but outside of that, everything else, for the most part, seemed like it was already in production, gears were already moving, everything was good, but now we're looking at it long-term, and we're looking at, okay, well, maybe a game from the initiative, maybe a game from, you know, the next Obsidian game that's coming out that looks like it's going to be revealed this summer that I can't imagine, you know, the new, new project that they're working on, they've done any mocap for or anything like that, it's probably still in pre-production for the most part, or early production, it's games like that that we're going to see some impact on. So, Mike, does this does this like article really scream anything new to you, or is this just, well, yeah, everyone kind of saw this coming? Yeah, it's it's pretty much like, I mean, overall, it stinks. You know, yeah, you I don't mean, want anybody's it's, it's art impacted. Yeah, yeah, it's expected at this point. Um, the impacts of everything that's going on are we won't begin to even understand for years um, mm-hmm. we see the immediate immediate impacts but the the lifelong ramifications of this are you know we're just beginning to see the 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 beginning of it and um it's expected and every single industry is going to take a hit from this and gaming you know it makes sense people are going to be working together touching things touching keyboards like it, it really does make sense mm-hmm. and it stinks but it is something that is newsworthy, but it's not something that's like shocking. I mean, it's kind of like, um, it's one of those things that needs to be said and talked about briefly, but it's something that we all knew was coming, right? Right. And that's, that's the thing we expected delays to eventually come with. And that's just, that's not even just video games. We're talking any entertainment medium. Some of the most anticipated movies that I'm looking forward to new James Bond later this year, uh, 
uh, the Batman coming out with Robert Pattinson, uh, even, you know, titles that are scheduled to be coming out even a little bit later than that, like the Eternals from Marvel Studios that got bumped. Um, you know, we were expecting to see that at the end of this year. It's coming next year. Um, so it's it's stuff like that that we're starting to see across multiple different entertainment avenues and even, you know, releases from just different things in general, events that are being canceled. It's somebody who works primarily in event management within college athletics, like this is directly affecting our job, you know, and the NCAA is looking at potentially giving the power to the conferences and the conferences could say, hey, we want to wait till the spring to play. We want to we want to just can this year or whatever. I mean, I think that's a little exaggerated, but we'll see. Um, you know, so it's it's just kind of, yeah, people expected it. It sucks, though. Like, and that's that's the thing. It's it's the areas like mocap and, you know, um, What's his name? Uh, Jason Schreier came out with an article a few months ago now, I believe, because I think I was still working from the office whenever I was reading it um, about the culture at Naughty Dog. And Mm -hmm. it was talking a lot about, you know, The Last of Us Part Two, how much all of this crunch that was going on and just the work culture of that. But the one thing that kind of ties into this is, okay, well, one person may do something, but they have to wait to get from uh, get an asset finalized or approved from somebody in you know animation or whatever the animation lead and he's in meetings all day and he won't be able to meet with you until eight o'clock at night so that stifles that production where like this okay well x y and z developer and designer could do you know this developer can do coding for the basis of a level but once we get into hey we need to do mocap for this character we need to be able to have a skeletal response for this player and we need to know when to give those you know the developer needs to know certain you know position points for that so they can code it properly well they can't do that without the mocap like and people can't go and do that you know people don't have mocap studios in their houses people who do you know on sound on the end people not everyone has a recruit recording studio in their office or in their house not everyone like even the Foley artists who do all the sound effects and try to make homemade sound effects. I'm sure they have something, but it's not going to be what they had at their true office or anything like that. And people can't go and do that. So these are the important early steps of game development that we're going to see affected. And, you know, I think Phil's right where we're going to see, you know, people are going to be okay for the next handful of months. This you're going to see, I think a lot of, I think you're going to see a lot of games like a destiny, like a Fortnite, like, Things like that, games as a service really lean into and find the longevity in their products heading into next gen. And I think that's why you're hearing so many projects now be so vocal about like like Bungie saying, "Hey, we're we're going to be on next gen. We're we're going to be there day and date." Rainbow Six Siege, "Hey, we're going to be there day and date for launch." You know, with the next gen console, so it, they're going to be ready and waiting. Where we're they're hopefully saying, "Hey, we're going to get." x amount extra months out of this before we start working on the successor destiny 3 or whatever like this will help bide some time where we could kind of we already have a lot of stuff in place we can just keep working on pre you know assets that we already have available to us and we could start kind of stretching a little bit that can hopefully projects like that that are live services they can get a little out of but it's the you know some of my favorite experiences first person or for uh first party like narrative heavy third person experiences that you see with like a god of war like a 
uh, you know, Assassin's Creed or whatever, you know, games like those that are the ones that are going to be impacted by this, where there's so much mocap being done, there's so much, you know, hands-on that's needed ahead of, you know, just stuff that's away from an office that can't be done anywhere else, that can't be just drawn up. So it's it's going to be interesting, and I, I fully expect that, you know, a lot of studios will be able to cope with that they'll find ways to be productive and hopefully you know not get their development cycle too far off where they're having to delay a lot of stuff and also too that means people could potentially who are contracted may lose their jobs and stuff like that and nobody wants to see that obviously especially during this situation but it, it hopefully this is where production managers are going to be able to and project leads are going to be able to find the correct ways to prioritize different things to keep people working so that once they are able to get into the studios, shit can get done and they're able to move and they're able to work, you know, progressively better comparative to the situation at hand. So, Mike, I think that's going to do it for our episode this week. Why don't you tell people where they could find you on the interwebs, talk about Unreal Engine 5, Tony Hawk, how we need a new thug, uh, and all that other jazz. Where can people find you on the internet to talk about video games? Uh, yeah, you can find me on um, Twitter at T-O-Y-S-X-L-D-I-E-R. Uh, and you can find me on Twitch at MP underscore Toy Soldier. Um, those are probably the two best ways to get a hold of me. Nice, nice. As always, I am your host, Travis White, a.k.a. Travelus, on most internet platforms, including Twitter at Travelus underscore, that's T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S underscore. You can also find me streaming time to time on twitch.tv slash Travelus underscore, same as Twitter. And if you want to play some Vigi games with me, you can do so on Xbox Live at Travelus, just regular Travelus, T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S. And you can also, that's really on any platform for the most part. I think literally all of my tags on everything now are travelers so if you want to play you know valorant or whatever with me just google travelers you'll find me on there whatever so with that being said ladies and gentlemen that is your newest episode of the game pass game cast your weekly go-to podcast for all things xbox xbox game pass and pc gaming including news rumors and conversations around them damn good video games you can catch new episodes of the show when they drop each and every friday morning on youtube apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify soundcloud and all other major podcast services so be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get a podcast at and follow us on twitter at gpgc podcast stay up to date with everything regarding the show video games like our dope giveaways and to be involved with the show so mike with that it with that being said i think that's it thank you everyone for listening sharing and being a part of our growing community game on wash your hands listen to the doctors and we will see you next week